Hello and welcome to this week's edition of The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge Television, brought to you by our great friends at Ditchwitch. Hey guys, Outdoors Dan here. Got Aaron Martin, the host of Bass Edge Television, alongside. And Aaron, can't believe that you're on Wild TV in Canada and the Versus Network at the same time. How do you do that? Just run back to Studio Studio or what? Yeah, we just, you know, just... Uh shoot two episodes no we're very fortunate and uh, you know versus obviously uh they they're uh positioning themselves now uh with the new branding on versus country and we're fortunate enough to be part of that that fishing block uh that is on saturday mornings and then again on tuesday mornings and uh so anyway we just we have a great time just being able to share not only with versus but also our wild tv fans there you go and that's going to run all the way through june of 2008 hey this week we're going to just uh weigh in with one of the best guys in the fishing area that you and I both really like, Mr. Pete Pond. Yeah, Pete is, you know, certainly becoming a staple with, with Bass Edge and the fan base that he has, a great angler, um, but also just a great teacher. Yeah, and he's just a nice guy, too. He is a nice guy. Yeah, so I was wanting to see what you You need said. to hang around him a little bit more. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> there you go. Hey, and then we're also going to go in the Inside Edge segment with James Nickermeyer. James is going to be talking about... James is actually going to be talking about bait selection again, specific to soft plastics. And, uh, you know, he, he again turns up. It's hard to believe that that guy can keep getting that much better. But uh, he brings some great insight on soft plastics. Well, there you go, folks. It's all right here for you, right here on The Edge. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Brought to you in part by Ditch Witches On. Experience the revolution. Oh, look here. I got one. I got one. Look here. <laughs> I mean, he whacked that football jig. The blades will dictate a lot of times the speed of the retrieve or the depth of that bait. Oh, good fish. Good fish. Did you see him come off that log? Whoa, look at that son of a gun, man. That's awesome. You know, you've got to just stay after Fishing is not easy. Oh, man, that's a toad. This is unbelievable. All right, folks, welcome to this week's edition of The Edge. Outdoors Dan here, along with Mr. Aaron Martin, the host of Bass Edge TV. What are you doing, pal? Hey, man, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm happy to be here. You know, we got to spend some great time up in Des Moines and uh, kind of your neck of the woods and, and got to meet a lot of great people and, uh, you know, just, just really enjoyed it. Yeah, Aaron was voted most likely to be next pork chop king. <laughs> and I got to tell you, it's an honor to be on the same show with a man with that title. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, uh, the yeah, Iowa I, pork producers loved you. I tell you, I've never seen so many people in my life flock around a fishing guy. You know, you're going to laugh at this, but I've actually been to uh, what was called the World Pork Expo in Indianapolis, Indiana. So yeah. to all of our... Um, you know, pork producers that are out there, hats off to them. So Yeah, hey, listen, God bless them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know what? If it wasn't for them guys, we wouldn't have pork chop on a stick, and that's the big thing at the Iowa State Fair. That is the big thing, you know, yeah. and, and bacon certainly ranks up there, I'm sure, uh, on, on your menu for breakfast. So. Yeah, turkey bacon. There you go. I'm kidding. I, <laughs> I am totally kidding, man. Uh, no way. Hey, so you like Des Moines. I do, I do. I just, uh, if you know, if it could be uh, just a few degrees warmer, um, but you know what? That's oh, why you, pick, uh, you have you 12 months this. in a year. You get to pick which month you want to go visit. Yeah, well, try living up here. Yeah. I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> hey, I want to talk about swim baits. Uh, we talked about them uh, a few months ago, and then we touched on it like a week or two ago. But, man, I can't believe how hard it is to get a hold of a swim bait, especially a six, six-and-a-half-inch one. It's, it's ridiculous. Now, I'm talking about the swim baits that are also called paddles. 
mm-hmm. that had the fish, the, the, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, the paddle tail. Yeah, paddle tail, thank right. you. Right, yep. And, you know, there, there's been companies out there that has done a very good job of marketing those products, obviously because they work. Um, but then, you know, when something is the rage and, and you're catching fish and tournaments are being won and there's a lot of money that is exchanging hands, you know, from a production standpoint, and you know this, Dan, I mean, you know, in the hunting industry, uh, there are, does create some supply and demand issues. Um, you know, whether that is all 100%, you know, from the market or if some of that is producer induced as far as rationing, uh, I'm not even going to get into that discussion, but bottom line, you are correct in finding the good ones and the ones that are in the press and, and things like that. Um, they're a little bit difficult to come by. Yeah. Well, if you're a swim bait fan, just hang on because there's several companies that I've seen on media releases that are going to be producing or promoting some new swim baits out there. So hopefully the demand will be better no matter what brand-specific person you kind of, you are out there. I think you're going to have a better choice here in a couple months. I, agree. Uh, I have not used them yet, but I'm anxious to try them this spring. I, I really... Uh, from what you've told me and from what P-Ponds and some other people have said, I, I really think it's a good bait to throw. It is. It's a, it's a great bait, and it's an easy bait. And, you know, back to your point earlier about having more choices and, and with the, the supply now being increased within that specific bait market, you know, you see these transitions uh, in the fishing industry. When something comes out, you know, every year it seems like there's a new bait, and for the, you know, the it, it was the chatterbait, and then, of course, you had the sweet beaver that went through the same thing. Those are, are brand-specific uh, bait categories. But the swim bait, you know, now there is a there is a company out there that's done the same thing. Well, now you have uh, of all these other companies that are coming out with these uh, new-type swim baits that are, are closely related to the paddle tail. And when you see that, chances are there's going to be some things, some new market introduction that will provide better action and better results than the original. Yeah, what's the... Uh... What's the proper hook to use on a swim bait, Aaron, whether it be one with a jig head or one without? I like to use as big as what I can get by with, which like is a normally six a 6 or a 7. 7-aught, yeah. yep. And then put a little belly weight. Um, you know, some of those, uh, some of the hooks actually come with the weight already assembled uh, in the val- what I call the valley or the bend of the hook. Uh, otherwise, you can just go and you can buy uh, some, some of that weight tape, uh, that you can put on there or inserts where you can actually, you know, insert uh, what looks like a little toothpick piece of weight or a finished snail or something into the actual body of the swim bait. Sure. Now, the most important thing I understand on a swim bait when, before you throw it is to absolutely make sure that you get that hook in the center of that bait. No question. You're going to two things. One is the action will be a little bit different. Secondly, is on a hook set. You know, you've got to make sure, uh, you know, some of those swim baits that you're using out west and you have the opportunity to catch, you know, 10-plus pound fish and also down in Texas and Florida, you know, where you have these just giants, uh, you want to make make sure that whenever you set the hook that, that you're going to get that hook into the actual mouth. Yeah, and I understand some people are actually using treble hooks on swim baits. Oh, yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, and, you know, then there's also what's called these uh, uh, fish head spins um, to where they actually have, it's a head with a hook that's on it where it has a little spinner on it. I have used some of those, have actually caught some fish on that. The only downside to some of those that I've seen is the hook is a little bit small, um, and, and I don't like the hook. I like the way that it, it you know, appears and comes through the water. 
Um, but I'm, I'm just kind of more the traditional buying the swim bait that already has the eyes on it, uh, be able to put that bigger hook in it. But you know what? It comes to personal preference and what you have confidence in. What you have confidence in. That's the most important thing. Hey, we got to run to a commercial break. When we come back, you're going to hear Mr. P. Pons, and he is going to be talking about fishing Choke Canyon. We'll be right back after these fine words from our sponsor. Give any type of boat the edge with MegaWare Keel Guard. It's simple to install, and we can now beach our boat anywhere. If you own a boat, you need one of these. MegaWare Keel Guard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion, from underwater obstructions, even concrete boat ramps. Kit started under $140, and best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Welcome back to The Edge, brought to you in part by Ditch Witches Zon, establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. All right, we appreciate those fine words from our sponsors and joining us today on the Angler Spotlight to talk specifically about upgrading your catch, and that is Pete Ponds. Pete, uh, thanks so much for being part of The Edge. Hey, Aaron, thanks for letting me be here. I, I really love every opportunity I have to be with you guys. Well, you know, I, I understand there's some news that has come down the, the pipeline. You and I have uh, have some things in common now with, with some of the sponsors. I, I saw where Ardent, uh, Superstar, and Ditchwitch has been added to your portfolio. Yeah, I, could, I couldn't be happier, man. I'm telling you, just to be able to get some of that thought process of, off of uh, digging for sponsors this time of year and, and going on and moving on to fishing. You know, uh, being part of their pro staff is really an honor. And uh, I hope that I can, you know, stay up to their standards. And, uh, you know, getting a sponsorship is just like getting a job. And uh, I just hope I can perform that job well. I know I'm going to give it 100% effort. Well, I, I, I have the utmost confidence in being able to do that. But, you know, one of the things about being in that sport, in this sport, rather, that I think a lot of people don't realize, and I, I think you jokingly one time said, you know, really, I'm a, I'm a truck driver, I'm a, a mechanic, a PR person. Uh, you know, and then I get to fish a little bit on the side. There's a lot of other things that go into this uh, being a professional angler. Yeah, you go from, I mean, I, honestly, you go from spending time in the, on the water, which you guys all out there know you've done that. You stay out there and you're fishing, you know, 10, 12, 13 hours a day, and uh, you don't talk to anybody and you're just going through the procedure of fishing. And then before you know it, then, uh, they pull you out of that and you're a spokesperson. And then you're also a, you know, you have to dress properly and you have to talk properly and all the eyes are on you. So, you know, it is a challenge from what I'm used to, but uh, it is certainly an enjoyable one and it's what I've always wanted to do. So I'm happy to be able to finally fish for a living, you know. Well, and, and that's a great point because, you know, being able to be out there just in nature, uh, travel, uh, all the great people that you get to meet, uh, the advantages certainly far outweigh the disadvantages. Absolutely. You know, how about Choke Canyon, buddy? Oh, that, was that, you know, that you just stole stole the words right out of my mouth. You know, what were your thoughts on, on Choke Canyon? First thing I'm thinking about is when we pulled down there, Aaron, and, and I just can't get over the wildlife that was there. I know you want to talk about fishing, but <laughs> my goodness, we saw, we saw some huge bucks there. We saw some, you know, I don't know how many turkey were there right there in the state park, and it was just an incredible place. I mean, I don't know how they got all that wildlife to come in there, but it's just absolutely awesome. But, you know, as we pulled down to the lake, I remember looking at the lake, and we talked about uh, how, how would you approach a lake like that, and I know that's what you're going to ask me. And uh, you know, one of the things that I did before we went was, you know, called a couple of buddies and checked around, and, and uh, this fellow named uh, Carol 
Atkinson. I don't know if I'm pronouncing yeah, it. Yeah, no, that's right. And then, and then uh, Charles Whited. I know Charles uh, Charles and Carol both were very friendly guys, and, and uh, they were happy to help all the good. And, uh, you know, and that's what I do. I mean, you know, we're all human. Just because I'm a professional bass fisher doesn't mean I can't call down there and get help. So what what we do is, you know, is call down to talk to those guys, kind of get you steered in the right direction. And uh, that seemed to kick us off the right direction on that. We had some time restrictions as far as, Know, making a television show and and so on and so forth, you know. Well, you know, and, and let me ask you this: Do you think that, uh, and I, and obviously I know the answer to this concerning these two individuals, but let's say if it's not dealing with Charles and, and Carol specifically, you know, does the average angler have that ability to be able to pick up the phone and, and get that type of help? You know, one of the things that I do, honestly, is I'll get on the internet and I'll check the area tackle stores around there. And, and I'll even make a call to a tackle store. Sometimes you get really good information. Sometimes you get just what, you know, the tackle store owner tells everybody. But for the most part, you can weed that out, you know. And then and then uh, I'll start that conversation, you know, by do you have a lake map and so on and so forth. And, and once you befriend that guy, then he'll open up to you a little bit more. And then when you get to town, you can actually go into his shop and refer back to that telephone conversation and he'll remember you, and then all of a sudden you'll be, you know, you'll be closer. So he's certainly going to open up more. Another thing I like to do is, I know we talked about this on a podcast before. Uh, you know, look at his pegs, see what's missing there. You know, if he's if he's got all banded crankbaits and they're all chartreuse and black, and he's he's got two pearl bluebacks left, then you know that they're biting the pearl blueback bandits. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So that's some of the some of the things that that I do whenever I go into town, and, and you know. Don't don't misunderstand me. You know, understand that the tackle store owners have a job to do. They're selling tackle, but they will tell you some good advice as well. But do a little of your own detective work. That's exactly right. That's exactly my point. You know, and speaking of that, you know, we uh, when we left the boat ramp uh, that morning, you know, we decided to to go shallow and uh, try some different things. Can you can you set the stage for that? Yeah, you know, one of the first things I noticed about. Uh, Choke Canyon was the grass, and it has a lot of hydrilla. It also has some wood in it, which, you know, those lakes down there don't seem to have m- much wood in them because, of, you know, down in South Texas, you don't have that many trees. You've got, the, you know, mesquite trees and the, uh, the other bushes, but uh, and that's what kind of puzzles me about that lake is because you can see standing timber in it, but then also the hydrilla. So then you also had access to deep water. It had plenty of deep water. And the water clarity was kind of an off-colored. It wasn't really clear, but yet it wasn't really muddy either. So, I mean, that's kind of the things I was looking at as I was going to the lake. It had lily pads. It had other type vegetation. Uh, and we went shallow. And I think we started fishing with the floating worm first. Is that right? We did. We did. You started, I think, with that uh, methylate V&M. Yeah, I had a, a methylate super finesse worm made by V&M. And what I like to do on that bait is, is I like to rig that with a 5 alt hook, which is an oversized hook. And that hook is just a little bit heavier than your standard hook. And the reason why I like that is because the rate of fall that it creates on that bait is so important when the fish start to, to bite it. You know, um, I think sometimes we get a, a bait that's falling too fast or too slow, and it changes whether the fish are bite or not. But that's also a bait that you can twitch across the surface, much like a you know a spook or a walk the dog type bait, and uh, you can actually slow that down. And what we were doing, Aaron, is we were getting that thing right along the edge of the grass line or of the hydrilla, and as it would clear that edge, we'd let it fall down, and the fish would come up and eat it. 
Well, and and remember one of the other things that we tried was, you know, I I really tried disproving uh, the color situation. I went to a darker, almost a purple worm, uh, the exact same brand, the same length, everything else being the same with the exception of the color. The amount of strikes that I received compared to yours, uh, you know, it, it, it really had a lot to say about, about that color. You know, I wish I could tell you why that color is a great color. I do know that Aaron, I have so much confidence in that methylate color. When you fish a bait that you have confidence, you're going to fish it more effectively, you're going to present it better, and you're going to fish with it for a longer period of time. Therefore, you're going to catch more fish on it. But I really believe that confidence is probably 80% of the fishing. You know, I mean, I think thinking that you're going to get a bite the next cast it really helps you get a bite the next cast. If you throw out there and you're saying, man, I ain't going to catch nothing on this, you're probably not going to throw it three or four times. And then, you know, you're going to put it down and pick up something else. But if you're throwing something that you really fired up about, then, you know, you're going to smoke them. Well, and, you know, and that just that confidence factor that you speak of is exactly what, you know, we really use that scenario, that floating worm situation to kind of set the stage for the rest of the day to establish confidence early and then be able to move on to attempt to upgrade the catch. And we did so by actually changing uh, spots on the lake, but we also changed baits. Yeah, you know, as we talked about before on some of the other podcasts, uh, a lot of times whenever I start catching fish, I want to, to change to a different bait to see if they bite that other bait better or worse. And I think, you know, we did do that. And I, I believe we caught them on a bandit crankbait. It was a new, actually, it's a prototype. At that time, the bandit had not come out with this but chris ross the owner there uh had sent me some and it was a 700 series bandit which is runs you know like 14 to 18 feet and what happened was that grass line was coming off right there and it dropped off you know to 14 feet deep and i'm thinking man this is a perfect place to try that and uh, i happened to have one tied on right there picked up hummed out there and sure enough man started smoking them on that thing and Man, what an awesome feeling that was. Well, it, it, it was. I mean, it, because the amazing thing, you know, we picked up, uh, you know, kind of that, that sinking uh, sinking minnow, you know, rig. I think yeah. we had it on a, a quarter ounce, you know, pegged uh, type Texas rig situation. And we caught some, some better fish that we had caught, uh, you know, throwing that floating worm. But, man, it's like when you picked up that crankbait in that, that one area, you know, it was, it was Katie bar the door. You had two just quality, quality bass. Uh, that came yeah. out of that. You know, a, a lot of times, Aaron, I can't reinforce this enough. You know, even, you know, when the fish are biting, you do need to adjust and and, and try different type baits, you know. Get off that. And a lot of times, th- those fish will be biting, just say they're biting that, uh, just say they're biting a crankbait over and over and over, and then finally they get tired of biting that crankbait. And you'll pick up something else. You might pick up a Carolina rig out there and boom, start catching them again. Sometimes that triggers some strike. But before that, a lot of times, the the key is is to change and move around and check different baits, and you're going to find that you catch more or bigger fish on other baits, or you might use the bait that was the right bait to use. You know. Well, you know, one one question that I have is that, and I think everyone wants to always know this. You know, it's easy, like Jay McNamara said on one of his in the zone segments, it's easy to change and try different things when the fish aren't biting. But, you know, when the fish are going to town and they're chomping on what you're throwing at them, um, what mental process do you go through to remind yourself, hey, you know, now's a good time to, to change? For instance, when we were on Choke Canyon, you know, we went from that, that uh, uh, stick bait to, to the crankbait. What, what triggers you to, to make that decision? Well, you know, I guess the best way for me to answer that would be, you know, time on the water. It's almost an instinct. Um, I wish that I could 
describe that. But I can say this, that, you know, it doesn't take but two casts. You know, if you're catching them pretty good, then it doesn't take but a couple of casts to find out whether that other bait's going to work or not. I mean, either it's going to be work right off the bat or not. And, and, you know, it's almost an instinct, so you have to feel it. But I do it because I'm always trying to upgrade, and I'm always trying to figure out what the fish will not bite, you know. And I want to say that again, what the fish will not bite. And that's pretty important, and that's funny because you usually are trying to find a fish, find out what the fish will bite. And that's that's a, a little bit different method of it. And, and a lot of it's just instinct, you know. You just feel it. You just know. And then that comes from time on the water. So, you know, do you feel, and, and perhaps you've already answered this question, but do you feel that to upgrade your catch that the most important thing is to find out what they won't bite? Well, I think that tells me that tells me what to use. Uh, you know, if if I'm catching them on, uh, uh, like I said, if I'm catching them on a crankbait and then I switch to a Carolina rig and they don't bite that, and then I switch to a Texas rig worm and I don't, they don't bite that, and then I switch to another bottom bait they don't bite that, well, I know those fish are probably suspended there, so I'm going to try a suspended or something that's suspended bait. So, you know, it's all a big puzzle, and getting that puzzle that's what excites me so much man i just get fired up about putting that puzzle together and that's what that's what you want is to try to figure out how to get that puzzle together and once you put it together boy there's no better feeling i tell you the time i can remember to this day the very first time that i got hooked on fishing i was on ross reservoir in mississippi and we were fishing down uh, a dam and i was by myself in a little bitty, bitty aluminum boat and I'd run down the dam, and I saw, just happened to be looking at the depth finder, and I saw it go down. I'm like, man, what was that? So I turned around, and I idled over it slowly, and come to find out it had turned to be a roadbed whenever they built the Ross Barnett Reservoir, that they had built a roadbed to haul those dirt out of out of the dam. And uh, so I turned around there, and I started throwing a bait across that roadbed, and I started catching them. And, boy, you talk, and at that time, I was probably 15, 16 years old, and that turned me on so much, and, and that was the day that I got hooked on bass fishing. I mean, I'll never forget as long as I live. Well, you know, and it's feelings like that that, that really, I think, uh, cause quantum leaps in your growth as an angler. Um, you know, one of those things that I remember particular about that day was on Choke Canyon, you know, that, that the plan came together, and, and we had success, and, and that feeling by actually achieving our goals, which was to not only catch fish, but then to upgrade from there, you know, but my question is, do you feel that it, was it that we just found a honey hole? Do you feel that it was more the bait, a uh, combination of, of, of all of it? But how, how do anglers know uh, what, to, what step to take next to make that upgrade? Well, again, like I said, I really think a lot of it is instinct and time on the water. I do it every time I get on fish. I'm always checking constantly, you know. And every time that I start catching them, I'll change to something else to make sure that I'm throwing the right bait. And once I satisfy myself that I am throwing the right bait, then I'll continue to fish that. And that will be the bait that I'll search for fish after that. When I go to a different area, then I'll use that bait that I figured out that worked well when they were biting at this one area. Uh, then I'll move around to other areas and use that same bait, and that tells me that the fish are there they're not there because I know they're biting the bait that I'm throwing. Does that make sense to you? Absolutely. You know, and in our last closing minute, Pete, one of the other things that, 
that I appreciated was the fact that, you know, you were not scared to put that crankbait because if you remember, there was a little cluster of trees in this area that we were fishing and, you know, you were putting that crankbait in the exact same spots where I was throwing, throwing that, that stick bait. But, you know, you can't be scared that you're going to hang your bait up and I know they're expensive, but you can always go over and get them. But I'm telling you, crankbaits will come through that timber and come through trees, especially the square bill ones. They'll come through them just about as good as a, as a jig will. And that's that what so many people don't realize. I mean, when you, when you, as long as you do it finessing and you feel it with your rod and you feel it with your line, then you know that, uh, you know, when, when to pull and when not to pull. And a lot of times just it banging off that limb and you stopping your reel and then starting it, it'll, it'll trigger that fish to strike it. So, um, that's, you know, I can't say enough about that. Don't be scared to throw those baits into places that everybody else that don't, doesn't throw them because that's what makes those fish bite. Well, and the, and the sure way to get over that fear is the first time that uh, that you do that and the fish loads up on it, uh, you're going to be hooked. Yeah. <laughs> Pardon the pun. Yeah, but you're, you're, yeah, you're going to hang up some. I mean, that's, if you're not hanging up, then you're not fishing in the right areas. Yeah. It's part of it. Yeah. But, uh, it, it, you know, that makes it so much fun when you're, when you're successful at what you're trying to do and you complete the puzzle and you put it together and you catch fish buddy it's just i'm telling you it's it's an awesome feeling well pete once again all great information certainly appreciate your time any closing uh, comments or thoughts well you know what i'd like to do is ask the guys you know give give me some feedback so i can better my interviews up a little bit give me a little bit of feedback on uh you know go to, to bassedge.com and go to the pro staff area and ask me some questions or give me some feedback. Let me know how we did on this interview. And then also I want to know, you know, what are you wanting to know? So if you have to have questions, please ask, okay? Well, that's great, great stuff, Pete. And certainly, uh, as you always demonstrate, you're, you're always in a position to, uh, to learn yourself. But once again, best of luck uh, in the upcoming season, and we look forward to talking with you again soon. Oh, thanks so much, Aaron. I appreciate you guys, okay? Take care. All right, bye-bye. Great interview, Aaron. You had a great time. And where is Choke Canyon? Choke Canyon is, you know, south uh, South Texas, kind of, you know, centrally central part. It's it's right, you know, grouping in there, right there with Amstead Falcon, all in the same, you know, general area, a couple hours across. But the the main area would be um, uh, South Texas. Three Rivers would be the the town. If you go to the website. Uh, BassEdge.com, we've got kind of a, of a map there and kind of the surrounding areas uh, where you can access. But it's a phenomenal lake, phenomenal fishery. The floating worm. Now, were you guys using braided line on that or monofilament? Uh, we were using, uh, actually, we were using fluoro and uh, also braided line on that. Um, okay. Well, wouldn't uh, the reason I was asking fluorocarbon would that if it's a, were you looking for a presentation on top water or underneath? No, we uh, actually a little bit lower right off the surface. We had started okay. out, you know, trying to throw some frogs and and some uh, legitimate surface lure uh, baits, I guess. And uh, the next thing was going just a little bit lower in the water column. And when I say a little bit lower, I'm talking about you know two or three inches under the surface. And these that V&M worm that we were throwing, you know, Pete was throwing that methylade, which what that is, if you haven't seen the show, that's a bright orange, uh, pinkish-looking color uh, made by V&M with that pork fat that's in there. But it's a finesse worm, straight tail, and you put that basically weightless, and you you put a obviously just a you know four-aught, five-aught round bin hook in that. And you throw that out there, and because of that fluorocarbon, it does allow it to sink just a little bit, and you can just kind of twitch that. And those fish were staging around those lily pads, but mainly those those isolated grass clumps. 
And when you brought it up to that, you would twitch it and just kind of let it sink and, and let it sit there and float. Of course, I was following up with a different color. We were testing out the hypothesis of, you know, is it the color? Is it the bait? What is it? Um, but, you know, Pete really blew that out of the water because they were just eating that bright color in that, you know, stained water a lot better around that isolated, those isolated uh, grass clumps. Yeah, I bet. And you guys were upgrading your catch, huh? Yeah, you know, well, you know, it's one of those things. Pete and I have this little deal now when we fish together. It's like, okay, let's let's establish a baseline. You know, let's figure out where the fish are holding, um, how to to get, obviously, those fish to react. But then once we start from that standpoint, because Choke Canyon, you know, and we fished there again with Alton earlier in the year, you know, that is a lake that, you know, you never know when the next bite is going to be a 10 or a 12-pounder. I mean, it is just full of uh, of quality fish and so with the results that we had although they were not bad and we were very thankful for you know for the catch that we did you know we really picked up um that uh, basically that soft um stick bait sinking type you know kind of like a cinco or a chopstick or whatever brand that you prefer but throwing that on a watermelon red uh green pumpkin you know with just like a, a 3 tungsten weight that was pegged and rigging that texas style Again, kind of a do-nothing worm, throwing around that the edge of that pond dam. We actually moved geographically and started working that uh, that across, and the, you know that helped us. But then Pete really, you know, stepped it up another notch when he brought out that crankbait. I, I tell you what, the, the crankbait still my favorite lure of all time. Well, and you know, and he he is a, he's a cranking expert. And that's what he loves to do, yeah. and it's exciting when you can be around somebody who is is really in their element. And, uh, you know, when he pulled in that fish, I mean, that thing was, was certainly a quality fish and just a lot of fun to, to be able to get to be a part of that. Yeah, I just don't have the patience to throw like a, like a, a Cinco or something like that. Just a, That is such a finesse and patient way of the technique to fish. And, boy, I tell you what, I lose patience quick. You know, and, and that's, that's a good point because when it's a tough bite and, and you're doing that, you know, you really start, and, and again, that's where that mental aspect comes in. You yeah. see, if you start questioning and doubting and things like that, boy, it can sure play havoc. But I can promise you, uh, that is, you know, throwing those type of baits, man, you can you can really do very well on them. Sure. Well, I like loading up bass on frogs. I mean, frogs. <laughs> oh yeah. It's like it's the same presentation almost as our technique as a crankbait. I mean, you're constantly moving that along the top, and you know, it's just you're you got action going the whole time. That's right. And boy, when they when they load up on a frog, man, that is that is just neater and neat. Oh, it's hot, heart stopping, and plus, just a great way. Anytime you have like uh, what we call reactionary type baits, like crank baits, spinner baits, frogs, you know, moving baits, that is a great way to get beginning anglers to because they have something to do. And, right. You know, you can take just a, a spin cast reel or the reel in the can, like we like to call them, if you're not proficient with throwing a bait caster or spinning reel. And they don't have to worry about backlashes, but go out and get them introduced, you know, to some, that type of fishing and, and create some success, and then they can, uh, they're hooked for life. Yeah, no pun intended. <laughs> and hey, and actually, too, if you want to get somebody a spin cast reel, you need to look at that new one Ardent's got out. Yeah, you know, they, they Ardent uh, does a, a great job with not only their spinning reels, uh, they went to all that new titanium guide system, all titanium components, but then, you know, they've got the full line of, of the bait casters from the XS1000, which is the top-of-the-line flagship uh, 600 series, the 400 series, and um, just really anything that you need is, is right there. Absolutely. Well, folks, I'll tell you what, Pete, you did a great job, Aaron. Thank you for that. Folks, we're going to run and take a quick break. When we come back this week's Inside Edge is James Nickemeyer, and he's going to tell you a little bit more about soft plastics. We'll be right back. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. 
Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the toe and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 toe and pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The toe and stow receiver hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. All right, this week's Inside Edge is on soft plastics, and joining us is James Nigemeyer. James, uh, we get to tackle another another hot topic. Oh, it's, it's a great one to talk about, too. Soft plastics, there's so many variations. <laughs> yeah, uh, only about uh, 10,000 to go through. But, we're, you know, I want to make this simple because I think there's two things like we had talked about uh, at, really at opposite ends of the spectrum. The first is going to be creature baits. You know, what? give us some feedback and some thought process on, on when you select these and when you, do you employ them. The creature bait is such a popular, the last few years it's really come on strong, and it's typically, I reach for those, and a lot of the pros reach for those when when they uh, when you're confronted with some of stained water, something where you really want to move some water, add a little bulk to what you're throwing into the water to try and draw fish's attention and really use that lateral line to your advantage. It's something that uh, has a lot of appendages, and not only with the mass of the body, but with those appendages, you've got a lot of action in this lure that really can create quite a commotion to draw those fish to it. Well, and, you know, when you talk about creature baits, people are like, well, what is a creature bait? And, that, and that's really how they got their name. You know, I think it was you that kind of coined the phrase, um, you know, when you look at something and it's like, what in the world is that? That's pretty much a creature bait. That's exactly right. When because there really is no rhyme you don't have an answer, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then you know that's creature bait. <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, I, I, are you... Do you even have any feedback on what they're supposed to mimic? or Because there's so many different variations. Yeah, I, I would have to say that depending upon the tails and things like that, some of them have two tails, some of them have a big grub-type tail. Mm-hmm. I think uh, with some of those grub-type tails, will actually, you know, and this might be crazy, but I think some of them mimic like a, a perch or a bluegill or something like that. And some of these other ones with two or three tails off the back, those might be, you know, mimicking more of a crawfish-type uh, profile. So normally you're going to lean more towards the, the stained water uh, when, when using them. What about as far as are you concentrating on wood or, or flipping up against something, or do you ever use this in an open water situation? You know, there's times when you would, typically though, yes, you're right, around wood, grass, any type of cover. When you have a, a lake that's got a lot of cover and a little more stain, that's a bait that you're going to want to reach for. Now, when you're, when you could also use this in clear water applications on a Carolina rig, now I'd use a smaller size one, and you know, a lot of these come in different sizes, four, five, and six inches in length. Those little four-inch ones, three-and-a-half to four-inch ones, work great on a Carolina rig, and even on the back of a jig. So those, uh, that's when I would use it in clear water on rock piles and uh, offshore structure. And then, you know, transitioning out of that one to the opposite end of the spectrum is the finesse worm, and that thing has gotten tremendous coverage uh, over really the last few years. It, can you believe it? it's just so versatile? Yeah, you know, it is so No matter simple. what you're doing with it. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's really just a simple bait. It really is. It's, you know, it's a four to six inch uh, straight tail plastic worm, and typically you can use it depending upon w- what type of lake you're at. If you're on a real clear reservoir like, uh, say, um, Table Rock, you know, probably the best thing would probably be to put it on a drop shot. Now, if you're fishing, say, Lake Fork, and I'll tell you what, believe it or not, people catch a ton of fish on a shaky head with a finesse worm on Lake Fork. And so you can really adapt that finesse worm to wherever you're going. A lot of guys like to wacky rig them, and some people will even fish them uh, kind of like on the surface without weight, and you'll just 
you Texas rig them, but without a weight at all, and you just kind of twitch them on the surface around brush or something like that. Kind of looks like a bait fish going that's across. That's right, or around docks, and the fish come out and grab them. Now, the, the finesse worm, are you always using that in a clear water situation? Typically, yeah. It's something that uh, is a little, a little less obtrusive than a creature bait. It's something that... Uh, the fish can see from a distance in clearer water situations, so you don't really need something with a lot of bulk. It looks a little more natural. It's got a slender profile. It looks like a, an easy, uh, easy prey item for fish that are, that are in that clear water situation. Well, you know, really, like you said, when you want that bait to go right into the cover, a lot of times it seems like if the fish are, are really nosed in or deep into that cover, if you don't have that pegged, that bait is not going to fall, you know, into the strike zone with that fish nosed up against maybe the, you know, the stump or the the brush. That's right, and and so you want to uh, you want your your weight to be pegged so that it pulls the bait down into the cover, and uh, your bait doesn't get hung up on a branch and your 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 weight end up sliding down the line. It's got to be something where your bait gets into right where the fish are, and uh, and that so that's probably the time that you really want to peg your weight. And you're fishing offshore or something like that, and or maybe fishing on a point, and you're maybe Texas rigging a finesse worm. It maybe not be. It's maybe not so important because there's really nothing for the bait to get hung up on and the and the weight to slide away from it. It's usually when you want the weight to stay right there with the bait, and and, uh, and so that way you can have that contactor, so you can actually drag the bait into the desired place. And when the, it seems to me like it's when the fish are holding really tight into that cover to make sure that you get that right into the strike zone. That's exactly right. I agree. I couldn't agree with you more. So what about as far as different, you know, there's a lot of thoughts on there on, of how to peg. Um, you know, what's some of your favorites? What, what's some of the, the techniques that you use on, for your pegging systems? You know, I've used, I've used many different types. They have these little rubber inserts that go inside the weight, mm-hmm. and they also, bobber stops really work well. Mm-hmm. I don't typically like the, the, the bright yellow ones or chartreuse ones. I, I like the, either the red or the black ones, and you can just, you can pretty much get those, uh, just about anywhere, and, and uh, you can peg your weights with those. They work really well. Yeah. Uh, the, there's also the yarn-type barber stops that work really well as, uh, on, as additionally. Or you can, you know, just if, if you happen to have some toothpicks or something, I, I know. Oh, toothpicks know. work great. All right. Well, again, James, great stuff, and uh, look forward to talking with you in the future. Any, any closing thoughts or anything? No, I'd just love to hear from more listeners and uh, get some feedback and some additional ideas. Love to talk about fishing and hear from all the guys. Just come to ProStaff at BassEdge.com. Sounds good, James. Look forward to it, and we'll talk to you in the future. Thank you, Aaron. When I'm fishing in a tournament, time is critical. I need fast, easy access to my lures. My Cook's go-to tackle system keeps my bait organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in minutes under any deck lid, maximizing the storage space in my boat. And its durable construction lasts even through the harshest conditions. Get organized with Cook's tackle system by calling 1-888-390-8780 or online at cooksgoto.com. Welcome back to The Edge. All right, folks, on we're back. Hope we enjoyed the inside edge with uh, Mr. Nigamire. Uh, he really did an awesome job explaining the soft plastics and creature baits, man. That's my favorite. Absolutely. Creature baits. And, you know, then, of course, he, he had to touch on the shaky head just because it, it is so effective, but uh, kind of from one end of the spectrum to the other. But he always does a good job. Absolutely. Speaking of good jobs, we want to thank you, the listeners out there. You guys have been doing a great job of sending in those listener email questions. And uh, just just in case there's someone out there that doesn't understand or know how to do it, we want to explain it to you one more time. 
please just go to BassEdge.com. We're making it as simple as we can for you. If you want our direct email, it's ProStaff at BassEdge.com. But see, that goes to Aaron. Just go to BassEdge.com. No, actually, that doesn't go to me, but I, I do get to see some of the questions. I know how you are. <laughs> Everything goes to you. No. Come on. Oh, no. Hey, and those are going to be answered on the website, but some will be answered here on future podcasts. So please get them in. We'd love to hear from you. And talk about... Uh, Hearing from people and people that we really love, we want to thank everyone that's been downloading uh, Bass Edge on iTunes. Uh, and thank you to all the iTunes subscribers. The Edge is doing very well. And we want to hear from you, but we want to ask one more thing. Please rate us on iTunes whenever you can. The rating system is there for you, and you know we'd appreciate at least a three or better. But you know what? Just give us your honest opinion. We want to know how we're doing. Yeah, and you know, take the opportunity if you have any uh, feedback or things that you think that we are doing good, but also don't. Don't uh, hesitate to shoot us and let us know if there's something else that you want to hear on here. Uh, by all means, we would be happy to do that. Yeah, I've been trying to get a recipe thing on here for six months. He won't do it. But, you know, I think, you know, how do you cook? Well, we don't cook fast. That's what I'm <laughs> I guess that's why. I, never mind. I just didn't even want to say that. Yeah, well, your, your culinary talents, I mean, they are good. I have had some of your food. So. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah. But we, you know, just because we put the bass back don't mean we can't keep the crappie in the cafe. That is correct. And yeah. well, I, I There you had. go. Absolutely. What's coming up next on the TV show? Exciting week. Dave Wolak and we head to the Chattahoochee River and uh, really what I consider getting, you know, almost back to the basics. Obviously, uh, you know, most people that know me knew I grew up uh, fishing small streams, farm ponds, things like that. And so Dave and I, we hit the river. And the interesting thing about this, Dan, is that, you know, last year we fished uh, Lake Seminole, which mm-hmm. obviously is on the Florida, Georgia, uh, down in that area. This year, you know, with Boyd Duckett, we went to Eufaula. Well, the stretch of the Chattahoochee River that we are fishing, which is kind of the Coheely, Abbey Creek, you know, part of that that system, is dead center. It actually feeds uh, into Seminole and is the tailwaters of Eufaula. So really, we will have put together now, after this show, uh, kind of a several hundred-mile stretch of a, of a watershed. And it's just really unique to see and compare and contrast the difference of the water quality and the things like that that we have done. So. Absolutely, and if you've missed any of that, don't forget about the newsletter. We are always updating the newsletters, and it's real easy to get that. Just go to BassEdge.com. Plenty of stories, just like Aaron was talking about of past shows. You'll be able to catch that up, and just to know what we're doing around here on the Bass Edge world, we always want to know what you think about what we're doing. And you know what? It's time for us to get out of here. Aaron, thank you so much for spending this last hour with me. Absolutely. Look forward to it, and again to another great show next week. There you go, folks. For Aaron, this is Outdoors Dan. We'll see you right here on the edge next week. Bass Edge would like to thank the following sponsors who make the Edge audio program possible Ditch Witch, Mother's Waxes and Polishes, B&W Trailer Hitches, MegaWare Keel Guard, Cooks Tackle Management Systems, Ardent Rule the Water, Legend Boats. O'Reilly Auto Parts, Superstar Batteries, and the Clarks Hill Partnership of Georgia. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.